Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. My name is Sungwook Eun, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sharvan Pethe. We're two of the hosts of Lightbulbs, the Entrepreneurship Club podcast. It's a real pleasure being on the airways with you. We've got an exciting set of shows for the year ahead. We'll be speaking to founders and VCs from across London, and of course, our very own LBS community. We'll be hearing about their experiences through the entrepreneurial journey, sharing some inspiring stories, sharing insights, and hopefully having a bit of fun while we're at it. Today on Lightbulbs, we have a really exciting guest. Ola Zions is an investor at global VC firm Antler. We'll be chatting today about her time at Antler and her experience in the world of VC. Ola, it is so great to have you here. Thank you both. I'm I'm really grateful for this invitation and excited to to talk more about what we do at Antler. Fantastic. Well, why don't we crack into it? Um, would love to hear a brief overview of your career journey to date and your current role at Antler. Sure. So I I think my my career is not a typical one, maybe for a venture investor. In a way that I started in a very much a different asset class. I've been an investor. Pretty much since I've I've graduated from uni, but I started off in private equity um, at Blackstone, where I was investing in um, real estate. So I've done that for close to seven years. After Blackstone, I switched to to a smaller fund um, where it was a bit more hands-on experience. And then after further three years at, at that fund, I've reached a point where you know I felt like real estate is not gonna. Ex- you know, ex- not even excite me anymore. It, it is a good asset class to invest in, but there's just nothing to surprise me in a way. So this sort of plateau that I hit made me realize that there's quite a bit more to life and and to work into investing than just just real estate. Um, but I wasn't sure what that path would be, so I took a break, uh, a productive break, by 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 doing an MBA at um, at INSEAD. So this this those ten months, I had I had a time to upskill myself or, or on all the sort of non-transferable skills that I thought might be useful potentially in venture capital, but also um, I was considering roles in in startups and and taking a more entrepreneurial uh, path. Um, and then in the end, I've decided to to join Antler after my MBA. Um, and I've been there here at Antler since um, last April, so close to close to a year. So that's been the journey so far. Um, a bit non non standard since I was a brick and mortar investor and now investing in in people, really in talent and in startups. But I'm I'm super happy with the with the transition I've made. Right. Thank you for sharing. I mean, I know that there are a lot of people, MBA students in particular at LBS, who wish to make that transition as well. So I think your story is definitely insightful and inspirational for them. Now, focusing a bit more on Antler, I know that Antler is relatively new to the scene, but it has grown very rapidly over the past few years. So for those who are not as familiar about the company, could you please explain more about what Antler does? No, absolutely, and I don't blame you because every week I'm learning something new about Antler myself. Uh, so it's it's true that we are rapidly growing and and changing organization. Um, but but generally, I think Antler is best known from from our ex- global accelerator programs. Um, the the initial pro- pro- program had been launched out of Singapore late 2017 2018, um, and since then we've grown 
to over 14 of those pre-seed funds running um, residency, what we call residency programs um, globally. What those residency programs are, um, they're essentially a six-week program where we scout founders. We have thousands of applications from founders globally. We select um, around anywhere between really 50 to, to 100 um, founders per, per cohort or per residency program, as you, if you will. We sort of um, coach them from, from day zero, um, help them form a team, um, and then give any guidance that can, can help them uh, excel. So, so that's why we call ourselves day zero investors. And then at the end of the six weeks program, we, there is an investment committee during which we decide whether we invest um, the first check or not. Um, and then, so, so th this is primarily what Antler is best known for. We've so far invested in over 600 startups um, through, those, through those programs, which is super exciting. Um, we therefore are a sector agnostic and geography um, agnostic investors since we, we really look at everything that, that those ex excellent people might, might bring with them and all the ideas that they have. And then we, on top of that, have the sort of global umbrella where where we have an excellent network of advisors that we work with um, that, are, that are great, great, I wanna call them a tool because they're at the fingertips of all our, um, our founders that we work with. Um, and on top of that, we, um, I am an investor for the Global Fund where we have capital that we can use to support our um, founders all the way to you know, pass Series A and B and C. So, so ultimately, we're able to support them really from the first check uh, up until they're they're ready to potentially you know exit IPO or whatever that path that might be for them. I mean, that's a lot of startups uh, invested just within a short period of time. And I've recently come across this article on Crunchbase that Antler was one of the most active early stage investors last year in Europe. So I was wondering how are the funds structured? So I know that you guys have offices all over the world and you have the global investment team as well, but are there separate funds for each local geography or does the global investment team oversee all the investments? Uh, so please walk us through a bit about how the fund operates uh, within Antler. We have 13 or 14 of the, of the pre-seed funds. Each of those funds is run by local regional uh, partners. Those partners are typically responsible for uh, raising their, their, their pre-seed fund, uh, for scouting, building the team. So those are sort of mini antlers um, spread globally. Uh, and then my team sort of sits one level up where we oversee, well, not really oversee, but we, we look at the companies that are being created in those pre-seed funds globally. And then we decide in which ones we want to make follow-on investments once they hit sort of pre-series A or series A stages, um, and then support them, sort of take the support from, from there. So this is broadly how, how we structure a single global team and then um, those, those regional teams. Um, on top of that, we have um, a great um, global team that is not responsible for investments, but but work on making Antler operationally excellent. So, so working on those advisory networks that I've mentioned, working on talent boards, because you know a, a big chunk of our work is helping founders recruit people that are even better than, than the founders themselves. And so there's a ton of work that we're doing sort of in the background that is there to design both our work as investors, but primarily um, founders and, and what they're building. 
I see. Thank you for your explanation. One question that I have is, Antler is obviously very well known for its residency program. So does Antler as an investor also invest in startups that may not be graduates of this residency program? Yeah, no, that, that's a very good question. And and sometimes we, we find a confusion when we actually tell other peers from other VCs that we do make external investments. So we call them, we call them external. So any investments that are outside of um, that are from founders outside of our um, residency programs and um, short answer is yes yes we do that and i i think it it really is a necessity to to leverage and and benefit from from the network that we've built and the the, the relationships with great founders because fa good founders are one of the best sources of new deals for us and introductions to the founders that they know that will be amazing investment opportunities for us. So so we do make invest, um, external investments, and this is both um, out of the pre-seed funds and the global fund. Um, the pre-seed fund, in case of pre-seed funds, it depends where in the stage they are. So it's typically once they've had X number of cohorts of those residency programs completed, that's when they start to look into external opportunities. I see. That's very interesting. And before we move on about that, I just wanted to ask a question because early stage investing obviously is very risky in general because of the lack of data to inform investment decisions. But Antler as a talent investor is a stage even before that, right? So you guys invest in exceptional founders, exceptional talent that oftentimes don't come even with a startup idea, let alone a co-founding team. So how does Antler approach the due diligence process? And what are some of the qualities that Antler looks out for in founders when it admits them to the program or later on decides to make a follow-on investment? Mm -hmm. It is really difficult. We, as I've mentioned, you know, we're getting so many applications and then we have to, to stream that down to, to those 50 or 100 founders that, that would join our cohorts. And it really is a combination of, of things that we we look at. And, and again, uh, maybe I'll split my answer into what we're looking into founders at the pre-seed stage where we're truly backing founders, oftentimes without any ideas still. Uh, and then what we look at um, at in founders more on the on the early stage um, levels of so series A and, and beyond. So on, on the pre-seed, I would say that on the on the pre-seed uh, in the pre-seed stage, what we're looking for is we like second time founders. So we, we definitely, you know, find value in someone who had done it um, over and over again and have the experience. So so those are definitely always very strong candidates. And, and we're fortunate to have second time founders still joining residency programs um, globally. Second of all, um, I think it's it's generally stamina, you know, being a, a founder and just dropping everything and being able to to have the courage to to go on your own and, and and build something out of nothing. I think we really look for people that have a vision and the courage, um, but also are able to rally the right people to build those things. So it is a mix of you know strong leadership, but at the same time being incredible with people and being able to recruit, recruit, recruit because you know the the best best companies are, are built by fantastic teams that work well together. Um, so I think those are the combinations of, of skills that we look. Um, and then as they progress in their journey, I think there's an interesting moment that we've we've discovered in, in our residencies where 
there's this critical point where, and this is, I guess, bringing me back to the, the resilience and, and the courage point, there is this critical point where they transition out of the residency program, so the program is finished, and then they're all of a sudden on their own. Um, and this is where a lot, a lot of founders actually fail because they're unable to cope with, you know, mentally with, with the stress of being a founder, having capital um, and investors, uh, capital from investors that, you know, are counting on, on you succeeding. Um, so so that's, the, that's the, the sort of critical point where, where all those um, characteristics that I've described to you are, are coming to play. And then looking at the founders that then we look at um, at the slightly later stages, this is more to do with how willing they are to listen, how, you know, how, how easy it is to communicate them, how well they communicate with the founders, how, how well they communicate with each other. Um, so that, that's sort of one aspect. Then the second I, I always um, value is being still very humble. So, you know, arrogance in, in this business doesn't really take you, take you far. So being humble, but at the same time confident that they can deliver. Um, and the final point, point, you know, we're looking for people that can execute. So I think this is probably the core strength that, that we value in, in sort of Series A founders. We, we're looking for people that already had hit product market fit. They had proven that their idea is working, and now we just want them to execute, that, execute it and scale up. So, so again, resilience, network, strength and conviction um, about their business and, and just being able to deliver on, on their promises. So it all sounds relatively easy and straightforward, but, um, but in practice, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to find, find the right founders and, and make sure we're betting on, on, on the right, right teams. That makes perfect sense, actually. And I think that could quite possibly be the biggest strategic advantage that Antler has over the slightly more traditional VC funds because it has so much more direct exposure to how founders react in certain situations and how they interact amongst each other throughout the duration of the residency program, which makes me wonder, um, just out of curiosity, what was the most impressive startup or who was the most interesting founder that you came across recently or invested in, in recently? And would you be willing to share that story with us to the audience? Yes, I think we've we're, we've backed several excellent founders and at the same time we've made some some investments where those first impressions were really strong and with time we understood that it's not that we've made a mistake but there's different types of founders that then in the long run might not necessarily be what what we've expected out of them so it's it's super interesting to to see those dynamic and see how how those um change but we've recently invested in a amazing company out of our Nordics um, residency programs that is pioneering really the energy in the energy transition space. So they're working on repurposing electric vehicle batteries and applying them to different um, use cases. So that's from um, a grid storage to, you know, storage of energy on site of construction um, sites. Um, so, so really, something that is we think is going to um, to really become a huge market, in, and it's at this inflection point where we thought it's really the right moment to invest. But the primary reason why we invested is that we found the, the founder to really be extremely strong. And I think 
the, the, the few characteristics and how I would describe him is that is the humbleness, but at the same time, so he's, he's really a great listener and has an incredible humble side to him, but at the same time, he has the confidence that even if when we were losing the confidence and, you know, it's a very still young market and no one really has the answer where, which way is it going to go, he was the one that was giving us comfort that it's going to be okay, that he's got every, all of the angles that we were trying to find problems and he, he sort of had covered. So it's this, it's this down-to-earth, very grounded um, person that at the same time was able to, to make incredible hires and, and built a very, very strong team um, is one that is definitely memorable. So we, we can sleep at night um, as investors. I see. That's definitely a very interesting story that you just shared. And I think it should also serve as a great example and inspiration for those looking to receive funding right now, which makes me wonder, especially given the very difficult climate nowadays, what advice would you give to early stage startup founders looking to receive funding right now? Yeah, generally, I was, I was thinking about this question, but um, I don't think any of us has a crystal ball. And I think a lot of people look at the venture capital investing through the lens of sort of macro investors. So we're trying to draw analogies with what's happening in the wider uh, macroeconomic world and, and think of what are going to be the consequences to, 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 to the startup world and to the venture capital um, world. I think there, there's several aspects. Maybe I can start with sort of availability of capital for us. So I think we've noticed that there is a shift of our LPs away from venture capital more towards um, recession safe investments like infrastructure. So a lot of the capital is now being paused and not invested in venture capital funds, but instead different, more safe um, asset classes. Uh, and this is driven primarily, but you know, the vol volatility in the public markets and the tech stocks really um, being hurt in, in, in the last 12 months. So the portfolio, the public exposure of our LPs had basically suffered. And as a result, as a consequence and the sort of knock-on effect, um, the capital raising is gonna become harder and harder. Um, I think we were fortunate that we've raised at the exact right time and now are very well funded. Um, and then moving on to, to sort of founders and implication of founders, the general sentiment obviously is hard. So. People are becoming much more um, cautious with with investments. They, I speak to to uh, my peers and other funds. They revise their strategies and, for example, write smaller checks in earlier high growth um, companies. So, so they, they sort of revamp their strategies completely. Um, from our perspective, I think, you know, there's there's no bad time to have amazing idea and build amazing company and to be talented. So we will never stop looking for, for the talent and our scouting efforts as, are as strong as ever. The, 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 the tips that we, we give, which is something that I think all investors give to, the, to, to their portfolio companies and to their founders is that, yes, the capital raising is going to get harder. So get your hands on any money you can and, and take it. And, and we see that, that it, uh, in, in our portfolio companies that struggle with raising proper you know, price rounds and instead do um, extensions. So this is, this is typical. We had a big wave of extensions towards the end of the year and still finishing them off. Um, 
and in a way, you know, the, the strongest founders and the strongest businesses are still raising because there's still capital to be deployed. There's still quite a lot of dry powder. So I think just really think about shift, shift to, to thinking more about the profitability and your path to profitability and be able to really find a convincing way of, of showing that path rather than proving your investors how you can become a billion dollar company in, in 12 months because this is pure this is simply not what we're looking for right now that is some really great advice and i'm sure many of our listeners would would love that i think another uh, side effect of hearing you speak for the last few minutes would have been uh, more of our listeners being more interested in the VC space, right? It seems so exciting um, based on what you've told us. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more uh, about that as well. Um, you mentioned you previously worked in real estate, private equity, you did your MBA at NCAD. Was there a moment where you realized that, you know what, it is, it is startups that I'm really passionate about? How did you go about those initial conversations in the industry and how did you pitch that transition to VC? Mm. So, so I actually realized that I like to be more of an operator problem solver quite early and it was already at Blackstone. It's, it's quite a funny story, but I think it was my first year or second year at Blackstone and the, I, was, I was being asked to help launch across our portfolio this software that back, back then I had no idea what tech is and what, what possibilities there are called Vuda Space, VTS. Mm -hmm. And it was a it was a startup that Blackstone invested in in their Series A. So naturally they wanted to to launch the product across the portfolio. It's it's basically sort of an asset management platform, um, which is which was, you know, in the outset a great idea because real estate is such a traditional um, industry that was very resilient to any change away and move away from Excel to, to anything that could help streamline work. And I thought it was a fantastic idea. I was, I was always on the lookout for how to make our work more efficient and how to automatize stuff. So I, I actually got involved in sort of beta testing um, of VTS, I was working directly with the, with the founders back then on how to improve the product. And uh, well, fast forward, the VTS is a, was one of the first unicorns in the PropTech space. So, so incredible, incredible story. And I was so happy to see that there are people working on how to improve, you know, our work and, and any other work of, of other investors or, you know, generally I got, I got excited how there's, there's those teams building something that you know it's going to scale up and it's going to help our 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 work and and our lives in in the long run and then i figured that there was still so much resistance across my team so even though there was this product that we've put so much work in it still really didn't click um so that was the sort of first first moment where i thought my god i love i love what they're doing i love that they're struggling with trying to develop something for for the clients, they're, 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 so, so that was the first step. Then second one was actually during my MBA. Um, I was always interested in um, sustainability, sort of climate tech, um, and anything related to, to solving the, the, the climate crisis that we have. And I got put in touch with a startup, or rather not even a startup yet, but two founders that were 
working on finding smart applications to black soldier, soldier fly, um, which is which is an insect that um, is used to to grow alternative protein and most common application is used in, in animal feed. And so I spent a year working with them on trying to help them shape their strategy, the business model, the idea, um, started build their, their, their pitch deck, um, spoke to investors, and I pretty much was a founder, shadow founder without being really a founder. And I really, really loved that. I, I love the fact that there are fires everywhere. There were pro problems really difficult to solve on all, um, all sides and fronts. Um, and that's what got me thinking that I think being a venture um, capital investor, you don't have that risk of obviously dropping everything and being a founder. And me, my whole life, having been an investor, I think it would might have been a difficult shift. But those experiences, uh, both with VTS, more on like product side, and then and then that insect startup, more on the operation side. Um, that's what I think was the most valuable in transitioning because you know it was an incredible topic for my interviews and, and it really sort of showed me what it is potentially in a venture capitalist day-to-day -day job because we ultimately are very hands-on investors and we do um, support the founders as much as, as we can so we do take a lot of this burden on ourselves. Absolutely. It is early in the year and many of our um, listeners are probably looking at summer internships and things like that in the industry at the moment. We have heard that uh, recruitment does feel like a bit of a black box sometimes within the VC space. Um, would love for you to shed some light on that. Um, what skills potentially do you need to develop before and maybe just after starting your career in VC? I, I sort of agree that I've I've also had my summer internship when I was at um, INSEAD and I really wanted to have it in venture capital. Spent a lot of hours trying to find one that would accept me and would be a good fit and, and the program would actually work, but it, it is tricky. I think venture capital is not very well known for, for structured internships and it's purely because the teams are just very small. So whilst we do take uh, we, we do take summer interns in. I think those are more like, you know, research and they're much less structured, I would say, than in typical finance um, finance roles like private equity or, or investment banking. And so hence, a lot of those smallest VCs just don't do that. And I've hit the wall several times where I've reached to the VCs thinking opportunistically, maybe they'll just take me on, um, but they, they wouldn't. Um, and then like in terms of skills, I think again, like operational background is always definitely a big plus. So I think the venture capital is shifting away from from typical finance backgrounds to very much operating backgrounds or a mix of the two. Um, hence, any experience with early stage startups is definitely always very much valued um, because our role, yes, invest in, we are investors, but again, like in the in the largest large proportion of our time is is helping helping the startups we invest in. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, we do hear a lot about you know careers in VC and what it's like and how how different every day is. But what do you think the biggest misconception there is out there about life in VC? Um, and what are potentially your favorite and least favorite parts of your job? I'm, I'm not sure what the misconception might be. I think 
maybe the the one that came to mind was that people can treat us as draw analogies maybe to private equity where we're the bad investors that come in and and destroy the business or are needy and we want to the the company to grow exponentially at all costs and and they end up in, in a sort of bad place so i think that is probably one of the main misconceptions because whilst probably there are investors like that i think we generally have the company's health and the founders at heart and and they are always our priority so i would say that's that's the biggest um i would say maybe the misconception but um what surprised me when i when i switched my my roles and that was actually a big big shock moving from a very structured day to day okay this is what you have to deliver please deliver by morning um mm-hmm. life in private equity to okay here's your desk um let's chat at some point in a few yeah. days and so i it's it's not that i'm struggling but it really is difficult because i am creating the work myself so every day i come to the office and you know i think about who to speak to what founders to 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 try to reach i do deep dives into sectors that i have no idea about and i i don't even know if it's going to come handy or not but yet we do this work so it's it's it can be tough i have those days when when i where i really struggle with i'm doing all this work i'm learning i'm digging and there's nothing that happens after you know we haven't made investment in this space and and this is a sort of mindset that for me was really difficult to switch you know it's not really outcome driven it's not that i have to build a model tomorrow and that's what i'm going to be scored on but it's more like a very much a long term game so i keep investing my time in learning and meeting and building relationships hoping that one day those are going to start um bringing results um which is either new ex- exciting opportunities to invest in or you know little things like successfully helping raise the next round um to up to our portco um so it's it's actually really rewarding but there's a lot of self doubt um in 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 the program in the process i'm not sure if this is what with other peers in 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 vc would also share but i think for me that was the biggest contrast and something that i until today sort of struggle Mm, it's so good to hear those unfiltered sort of insights once in a while because you you don't always get to hear them and i bet a lot of our uh, entrepreneurial founders kind of listening at the moment would be chuckling because uh, they'll be drawing parallels between their own experiences building their businesses and what you're trying to do um building out a pipeline and and creating your own work as well um so let's look ahead to the future a little bit now as we try to close out um what is antler's outlook for the wider startup scene um in general i think you know i don't think we 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 go around and and throw those huge uh, huge general statements about how the mm-hmm. world is going to look because again we we don't have the crystal ball I think we're just trying to put our heads down and and do and, and follow on what's happening in the world. So, you know, the Gen AI is definitely flavor of the month. So, everyone's looking into opportunities there. Um at the same time, you know, it, it is going to be a price to the bottom with this space becoming highly commoditized. So, I think there's a lot of different interesting dynamics happening 
happening in the world. So it's more related to to what's next for us from from an investment perspective. Um, I think I would say that's that. Great, yeah. And this is a question we do like to end on in general. Um, is there any other piece of advice you'd give to you know, founders, people looking to get into VC, advice you wish you'd had yourself maybe earlier in your career? I think there, it's never too late to change career or really drop everything and say, okay, I'm done with my old life and I want to start something new. And I wish, I really wish I had done that earlier in my career because, you know, I've, I've changed careers completely at the age of 30 and it's going to be mega cliche, so cliche alert, but I honestly never thought I'm going to say that I love what I do and then I really do. Um, and there was a moment of transition where I was actually, I felt like I'm projecting at the very beginning of, of, uh, of my career at Antler. There was this short period of time where I felt like I'm almost projecting my past life and resentment to the type of work I was doing before onto my antler um, work. And then one day I realized that how can you resent when you're being paid for meeting inspirational people and learning about, you know, groundbreaking technologies. So I think just if there's something you want, just go for it. And like, don't listen. I also heard from people that, you know, um, I'm too old, I will never be able to transition to venture capital because I don't have venture capital experience. But at the same time, I'm gonna expect too much money. So like, you know, I've heard it all. <laughs> and regardless, you know, if there's a there's always a place that would be um, grateful for for having you if you really have the passion and and conviction that you want to switch. So Overall, there's always transferable skills and just don't wait to do it. Awesome. Amazing. I mean, what more can you ask for? We've had some great VC advice. We've had some great entrepreneurial advice and now some great life advice too, Ola. You're the, uh, <laughs> you're the full package. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your time with us. It's been fascinating. It's been inspiring. Um, yeah, and we hope to have you on again at some point in the future. It was my pleasure and anytime. Thank you.